Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo press now eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Unique, Burgundy. Unique New York. There was a man with, with, with a wooden leg named Smith. Seashells, seashells by the seashore. <laughs> Welcome to the Rage Quit Wire. Got Pete back here with Chris. This is your break from the insanity of the world. Our insanity. <laughs> you know... If you were playing Apocalypse Bingo, you might be winning. <laughs> You'd be winning at Blackout. <laughs> so today we got our, uh, another God Tier episode. We have basically the Guardian class we we're going to talk about. So far, we've been hitting up the uh, Shapers and the Slayers, and today we're hitting up the Guardians. And then there's a couple other little things we'll talk about. Plus, we have a couple of questions from uh, from the patrons that they... They had some interesting questions, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about a few of those as well. Okay, I think I can handle that. You think you got it? Yep. All right, well, first thing I did want to mention is just make sure that you guys are uh, supporting the podcast. You can do that directly through Patreon, Patreon, or you guys can uh, check out our YouTube content. Uh, we It's been a few, probably a few days since we put anything up on there, maybe five days or so, just because of you know the environment and... I don't know if there's a full moon, but then, you know, things in my house have also been a little crazy. So uh, there should be some stuff going up today and in the next few days, though, just because I got some backlog stuff that I'm going to put up on YouTube. So check that out on the Rage Quit Wire. And don't forget to support our friend uh, Nick at Barding Tokens on his Etsy page because he sells a lot of cool things, especially for God tier. Those base identifiers that he sells are really helpful when you're in a mirror match and you're like, oh crap, those aren't my followers. Those are your followers. So don't be caught in that awkward situation. Yeah, I, I like Nick's stuff a lot. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's cheap stuff, but it's good quality. So definitely check it, it no, out if you have. it's inexpensive. It's not cheap. That's the, <laughs> it's inexpensive. It's cheap. <laughs> it, it, is cheap bad? Yeah, cheap, cheap indi- it indicates like low levels of quality. Inexpensive means oh. that like the price isn't high for what you're getting. Fair. Yeah. Fair. So, come on, marketing, man. Um, <laughs> but hey, real quick, real quick story. Um, sure. You know that uh, that token holder that he makes? Yeah. So that so a few of us here got these god tier specific token holders that he that uh, Nick printed on his. Uh, 3d printer so generally the lids have been really loose and mine the lid is like super tight like a loctite <laughs> and um i i guess like nick and i were talking about it and we figured out why it was that that was the case i got the smaller size no no no. i got the lid after like it, it hadn't finished printing and so ah. the lid had been sitting in my car not in like the under direct sunlight, but like, you know, under some things, under some clothes, you know, that sort of stuff. So, but it had warmed up enough to, I guess, just like uh, 
give it this perfect warping to where like now it snaps shut tight. And uh, like, as like, Nick, you got to find a way to like replicate that perfect warp for like all these other ones that you're making. And he's like, I don't even know how we would start to do that. But I feel like I got lucky that like, I just found this like perfect warp to my thing because I was reckless and left stuff in my car. I mean, the problem is you can't get it off though. No, well, now, now I'm starting to be able to. Oh, okay. Listen, I can always get it off with a butter knife. Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then you snap, and then all your tokens go flying <laughs> everywhere. Go everywhere. <laughs> like exploding a bag of chips when you pull it open too fast. All right. Well, there is one piece of news that I did want to share. I was on Twitter, and I noticed that Steamforge sent out a tweet that was actually really kind of cool to see. Uh, basically, they sent out a tweet kind of like, what is this? And it was a picture of Guild Ball stuff, but on Tabletopia. So it looks like they're in the development of making Guild Ball available online on Tabletopia, which would be really cool to see. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I think that's cool. Yeah, and I think that having stuff like that available only helps your branding. Uh, because I can't tell you, there's been at least two or three people I've gotten into the game just because I did a Tabletopia demo with them, and they're like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. I'm going to go buy some models. Yeah, I, I mean, it's always just nice to have more resources. I mean, everyone that listens to this knows that I'm not, like, the biggest online computer player of tabletop games. But, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather Steamforge create a strong relationship with Tabletopia, have that resource available, and be able to send all that all that out there into the world. So especially if we're going to be like locked into our houses forever, I think, which hopefully not. I have people asking questions about like, Hey, when are you guys going back to school and teaching and going to be normal? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> question mark. I, what I is don't normal? know. <laughs> well, and you want to know what, this is one of those events where it's kind of like when nine 11 happened where in all of a sudden airports and like military bases, just security is different. Right. And I think this is, this is an event that it's going to change the way people interact with each other. And it's also going to change how uh, we just publicly work with each other. So now you're being a little bit vague. You're saying this event, but there's like a billion events going on. So I don't know which one you're talking about, but sure, yes, I think that we're entering a change in lifestyle. I I will leave that to the imagination of the viewers because people have different opinions and and they're free to have those opinions. <laughs> oh, so teetering on the edge of like a political commentary podcast. Um, anyway. Nope. nope, not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I like that Steamforge, and it, it seems like there's a really strong relationship between Steamforge and Tabletopia at this point. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if we start seeing a lot of resources, you know, going into being able to have all that stuff available. And that's that's a good thing I'm excited for. Speaking of Tabletopia, Chris, I got a little little surprise for you. Okay. Guess which champions they decided to rotate onto Tabletopia for God Tier. Well, hopefully they took Morgan off and put Rangosh in. They did. Woo! <laughs> I really feel like we've moved the needle on this. <laughs> yeah. Because there aren't a lot of podcasts talking about God Tier, and I've been bitching up a storm. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, the bitching worked. 
Yeah, they also put Wraith on there, so that was kind of cool to see as well. Nice. Nice. Very yep. useful. Did they sub him so, out for anyone? They did. Who'd they take off? Okay, so they decided to swap Mornblade in for Vinvar. Then they have Wraith and they have uh, Rangosh come. Yeah, Rangosh coming in. So uh, they did take out Finvar, and I'm not sure what the other two models they took off yet because I haven't been in there. Wait, wait, they uh, took recently, off, but they did put, take off two other models. They took off Finvar or put on Finvar. They, Finvar was already in there. They took him off. They okay. they were like, okay, we're going to put Mornblade in so people can play Mornblade, and we'll rotate Finvar out. Oh, some okay. people were upset. because... Because they wanted Blackjaw to get put in there, because a lot of people like Blackjaw, but Blackjaw is not in there yet. Yeah, well, I, I, I would like to see Blackjaw in there. But, yeah, okay, I I mean, I like that, right? Um, it is interesting how they've had to make this choice with uh, in relation to the starter boxes. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I think the goal was to have all the starter box models in there. Yeah, I think they did a good job kind of initially putting it out and having the starter box stuff on there because I know that let us decide which starter box we wanted to pick up. And I was like, ah, Morgan's definitely not one Chris is going to pick up. <laughs> it's shitty because I want Naya, but there's no way to get Naya other than that starter box. True. So now I'm like kind of in one of those moral conundrums. Like, do I, do I stick by my principles and say, fuck Morgan, or do I sell out because I want Naya? <laughs> I mean, I would put it in this mindset where I was going to pick both boxes up and just purely for the fact that I can have multiple boards. That way, when we run events, I have several boards to put out. Yeah, but that's your job, not mine. You can help the cause. <laughs> hey, I have my nice neoprene mat. I will bring that to the events. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our main topic, though, talking about these guardians. So... The Guardians are definitely an interesting class. So, Chris, why don't you run us through what do the Guardians do and what are kind of their their jobs in the Game of God tier? Okay, so Guardians are supposed to be kind of that immovable object type model. They're going to be planting banners. They're going to be defending those banners. And that's that's their whole thing, right? The, like, they're, they're the... They're the plant your feet and don't take a step back type of models in the game. Yeah, so like in your MOBAs like League of Legends or Heroes of the Storm, games like that, the the Guardians are like your tank class. They're the ones that sit there, they take some punches, they're meant to kind of hold the line while your other classes kind of go around and, and do their thing. So Yeah, so uh, like they're, they're, Yeah, <laughs> they can be. It depends on how you use them. I, uh, different, I cannot relate to that. At all. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, that, that is not a class, like, in any game. I could not ever imagine being that class. Like I, I, like, I don't know who the personality type is that wants to play that type of class, but, like, that's not me. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because if you've never done that or if you've never done, like, raids in World of Warcraft, that class is interesting because usually the main job of that role is to, like, take damage but not die and also use the abilities you have to control different things so your your teammates can capitalize on it so like on i play a lot of heroes of the storm and in that game the tank's job the guardian's job is basically to soak the fight take the damage and if you have stuns or if you have abilities that can help 
basically root down or maybe snare an enemy and then your your damage can go ahead and then smoke that person and you know kill them that's what the tanks kind of facilitating they're just taking the damage maybe stopping them from killing your other champions and then just kind of you know holding the line holding the line and supporting the fight that's what they do yeah and the way they mostly get points are from planning their banners like you said chris and the cool thing about guardians is if their banner is still up at the end of the turn they get five points instead of four so usually a guardian will get you six points per turn if they have their banner down and then if it stays so you kind of need to think about that when you're playing that class you're not going to do a ton of damage with guardians however i have killed other champions with guardians so it's not impossible but you're not going to do massive amounts of damage with most of the uh, guardians. Okay. So we're, we're going to start with our number four, Chris. All right. What's so our number four? Our, our number four for the guardians is actually Finvar. I can accept that. So Finvar is, it's kind of weird when you look at Finvar's card. He, he has a lot of interesting abilities. He's decently quick. He has a good dodge. He has a four dodge, just innate, so that's really good. Decent armor, which is three. Uh, he has a, an okay attack. Uh, it's probably going to hit if he's on the objective hexes, because he gets plus two accuracy dice if he is on the objective hexes. But it's only throwing five damage dice, and probably his really big trick is he can move his banner around. He can move his banner two hexes away. Uh, so... It's okay. I mean, there's some cool things there. And then the Shadow Sentinels are kind of just meh. I mean, they do okay damage. They can do this kind of Shadow Step thing where if they don't do any move actions, they can uh, move one hex at the end of their activation. But it's just there's not a lot of sexy things on this card. It's just like a lot of, okay, I mean, that's that's cool. I, I mean, what are your feelings about Finvar looking at him? Yeah, I, I don't think... It- Finvar doesn't like get me all excited about anything that he does. Um, and the thing that I would note is I feel like Finvar is a massive liability in scenarios like death where you're losing objective hexes because he's it's so necessary that he's standing on objective hexes. And so yeah. now you're starting to like take up space that you want available to plant, uh, you know, your plant your banners or you know, what, whatever else you want to be able to use that space for moving around on that space, he has to literally be on it in order to, in order to attack. Um, otherwise, otherwise it yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't work out well. The, the four that he has, the four target that he has for his life blade really isn't going to hit anybody. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not overly excited by Finvar. Um, you could, get if you're in a scenario that's like life or a scenario where you're putting out a lot of objective hexes um his phantom banners ultimate is super fun because you can basically rearrange all the banners um sort of like shale's able to rearrange the hexes but shale's ability is obviously better so yeah i think that your assessment is is pretty accurate uh as far as as far as strengths go uh pretty strong in the movement department Pretty strong in the defensive stats department. His dodge plus armor equals seven, which is uh, you know much stronger than average. Only five five hit boxes, so that's yeah. not anything to write home about. But 
yeah, I think that he's you know he he's a fine model. I don't I don't I don't hate him. Uh, I I don't refuse to play him. Uh, it's just that you know I'm not really excited about playing him either. Yeah, he's kind of your middle like he's just your middle of the road champion, right? He has a lot of cool abilities that it's like okay, this is nice, but it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of slayers just kind of make him a victim because once they get past that four dodge and then they, I mean, three armor is not super tough to deal with. So once you get past those numbers and he only has five hit boxes and if you have somebody who can just plink him like sneaky Pete probably just, just dances all over Finvar's corpse just because he's just doing one damage each time he attacks. So, I mean, just with two attacks, even if he only hits Finvar, Finvar is probably going to die pretty soon just because he's taken two of those uh, half, two damage. Half of even boxes, if I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's cool. The problem is like he there's there's certain times where it's like the only thing he's doing is not dying. And it's like, is that good enough? Right. Is not dying good enough. Are you doing something else that's going to be productive besides just hanging around the board and, and putting your banner down? And the thing that the plant, the phantom banners, that's actually a really cool ability. Uh, but sometimes I feel like unless you're going first, I feel like a lot of times you can't even do phantom banners because the banners get squashed before that ability even is able to happen. Right. Yeah. So the way that I use the phantom banners is it was in a turn. I can't remember if I was going first or second, but basically in the turn, what happened was the banners were put out and my, I needed my models to be kind of in one area, but obviously I didn't want the banners to all get stepped on. So I put my banners out during that plot phase. And then during the start of the next phase, Finvar pushed them all back. And it was a scenario that had, I forget which scenario it was, but it had objective hexes and I was getting more objective hexes and they were kind of all over the place. So I was able to like kind of push all the banners into areas that they weren't weren't threatened um, and let my models just do their job, you know, fighting with the opposing champions. Yeah, I feel like I'm just trying to think because Mirage on his ability, because he can move the banners and that seems like that's a strong ability and it can be. I'm just trying to think how to make it a little a little better because I I think that it should be move the banners to objective hexes away because I feel like a lot of times moving it just one hex doesn't make that big of a difference. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I like I, the abilities that it's kind of like a bubble, right? So uh, in the case of phantom banners, it's anything within four, four hexes from Finvar. So yeah. I like it where it's like, okay, you can move this anywhere within the bu- the bubble and I just like abilities being worded that way. So, yeah. I mean, do you even like his little followers, the shadow sentinels? You didn't really talk much about them. Oh, uh, they're, they're fine. They're, they're nothing special. I mean, the, the one nice thing is that with life trade, they're able to start getting shadow sentinels back. And so like, they're a little bit easier to recruit. Um, I think, I think there are, reasonably hardy right they've got a dodge four and armor two so i mean they're they're fine the, again not not nothing special to write home about you only get three of them so i mean you're not able to spread out and do everything you want i i would like the shadow sentinels a little bit better if you got four shadow sentinels and yeah you could kind of put two and 
two hexes each. Okay. But that that would be my only my only thoughts on that. So yeah, nothing 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 big to write home about with Finvar. Um, but I think he's fine in a, in a starter box. Like he's he's a good one to learn with. He doesn't have glaring weaknesses yeah. or anything like that. We'll go ahead and get in into our number three, and this is kind of the one two three for the Guardian was actually pretty interesting, and I had to actually talk with. Um, friend of the show, uh, James Doxy, just about this because he, he texted me yesterday while I was at work and we kind of went back and forth on the Guardians a little bit, just to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And he kind of came up with some ideas and I did. And w- it's just interesting to see how close these top three kind of are. And it's not because they're they're all of the same caliber. It's because they're good, but they're good at different doing different things as a Guardian. So the number three that I came up with, and we'll see what Chris kind of thinks about this, is Mournblade. Okay, well, so, I disagree. <laughs> but sure. That's, that's fine. So Mournblade is an interesting guardian. He's very He does it very differently. He's pretty slow. He only moves a, a couple, but he has the ability to move faster, which is good. He can also, the big thing about him is he can plant his banner. He can plant his banner um, two hexes away. So that's a big deal because oh, he can okay. really reach right. out and put his banner down. Right? No, it's two. Death, Deathwind, if Mornblade's banner... Or sorry, that's the wrong one, isn't it? That's the wrong one. Never mind. Grave Summons. Yeah, sorry. Three hexes away. Good call. Man. I was looking at his... Uh, I was looking at his Clash phase. Dude, if so, I'm the one on this podcast that has to like be pulling it together with the technicalities, we are fucked. <laughs> You're the one that's that's why supposed to know first. those little details. We just we just stumbled. I'm not into done with my tea. <laughs> I'm not done with my tea yet. <laughs> All right, so so he can plant his banner three so, hexes away. Yep, he has the ability to move his minions around. Uh, the big thing is he has two dodge, which isn't great because he's going to get hit by stuff. But he has four armor, so he is a little bit durable. And the big thing that is kind of like whoa, he only has one hitbox. But when you look at his main card, Mornblade's only ever worth one step instead of four as a champion. So, yeah, he's easy to kill, but he's also only worth one point. So, so I four armor, that's correct. So I really like Mornblade a lot. And I think that whoever put together this top four list done fucked up. But <laughs> yo ass. Um, we'll talk but, about it. We'll, but we'll the, uh, about it. So I, here's why I like Mornblade. Because Mornblade basically has this element of being sort of like a follower as far as like the points awarded, he's not a great option to sink a lot of resources in. I don't want to have to go hunt him down because even if I kill him with a Slayer, he's worth 40% of what uh, other champions would be worth to a Slayer and... 25% 25% of what, you know, a normal champion kill would be without like any sort of slayer dynamic or any of that. So I feel like he's, he's a followers level risk of killing him with a champion level set of abilities. And so the nice thing about Mornblade is because he can put his banner out three hexes away, you can actually play him way forward and way aggressively. And if something goes wrong, oh well, you only lost one one point on the battle ladder. So 
I, I just feel like he's this interesting guardian that you can play super aggressive because of the tools around him to where he's able to uh, not have to be standing right by the objective hexes so you can physically play him forward, but then you can also be very forward with him as far as um, you know what you're willing to put him into risk with. I, I, I just I really like Mormley a lot. Yeah, and I, I like how his followers, they actually, on the uh, on the plot phase, they actually do a great job of supporting him because they have Careful Master, which can give Mornblade a free dodge. So that gives him a three, three dodge on the first attack he gets. And then they have Where's Master, so if Mornblade's in range, they can make a rally action, so they can just use that, or they can move up to two hexes. Yeah. So, or sorry, sorry, he may make a rally action or he can move up to two axes. So you can either use that as two move for Mornblade, or if Mornblade did get knocked out, you don't even have to waste one of his activations and you can just use these guys to stand up Mornblade, which is a really cool feature. Yeah. So, man, I, I'll tell you, I just I just really like Mornblade. Um, he's he's not easy to drop because of the four armor. Right. So, so it's not like, it's not like followers can just walk up and just like tap him and he drops. Right. Like it's actually, you have to actually use some pretty decent attacks to be able to drop him, even though he only has one box. So he can, he can soak up a lot of hits. Like he's not too, too difficult to hit, but I've seen him a lot of times where people just can't get to five, five damage on him. So they, they, they can't drop him. But yeah. And I think part of the, Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. But the clash phase is also interesting. We haven't talked a lot about his clash phase because we've been focusing more on his guardian stuff. But the clash phase on him actually isn't too bad because if you look at it, he has soul cleave, which is from three hexes away. He's throwing damage at people. Yes. Which which is a huge deal because he's just sitting there slinging attacks out. And if he hits, he can make a recruit action. So... That's big because if you look at the nightshades, they're slow as dirt. So the fact that he can have them just die off eventually, and then you just recruit one, is it, it's just a big deal because it's effective, efficient in his actions. And and people have to deal with the nightshades. Like it, it's not like you can just be like, oh, these nightshades are petty. Like let let's just ignore them. Like no, they'll nerf your move, movement. So. Yeah, I, I think that he, that Mornblade is a very well-constructed model. Like, definitely a top-two model in this class. Yeah, and then you look at it, a couple other things I wanted to mention before we go a little further into him, is he also has Raised Dead, so he can actually make a rally action on a friendly champion. So if somebody else gets knocked out, he can raise them up, which I thought was a cool ability. You raise me up! <laughs> wow. That's a little Josh Groban for everybody. You're welcome. And Mornblade also has the ability to move his banner as well. So with Deathwind. So that's kind of a cool ability. And then the last thing that I want to mention before we kind of just talk about him is his ultimate is basically like a lockdown where he basically gets to put his Nightshades within three hexes of Mornblade. So you can use them to go bubble around a model. You can use them to put next to individual models because if they're next to a Nightshade, they can't move with their advance action. So here's, and I'll kind of share this, Chris, because this is why I put him at three. The reason I put him at three 
is because, yeah, he does have a lot of those cool things that we mentioned. And hearing all those things, you're like, holy crap, this guy sounds really amazing. And he is. But the problem is, if you go into a matchup, and let's just say we go into a tournament, and you have Morn Blade as your guardian, and if you look at what everybody else is bringing, and all of a sudden you see a lot of Sneaky Pete's, and you see a lot of Lorsons, I think you're going to have a bad time with with more and blade then because that's fine. Then, then you just don't drop them in the three. Right. And, but that well, doesn't mean well, that. And that's fine. That's what I'm saying. Like I get that you don't drop him then, but that's my problem with more blade is that he, he's susceptible to being hit. So he's going to get all the negative hit effects. And then any of these hit effects that also does a damage, then I think it does become a problem because a lot of those uh, slayers that I talked about with sneaky Pete and Lorison especially Sneaky Pete, can attack in the clash phase and in the uh, plot phase. So it's very possible that Sneaky Pete still gets his four points off of um, off of Mournblade, and it's, not, it's trivial. It's not even that hard. Well, yeah, I still don't know that's where you want to focus your energies is on trying to kill Mournblade a bunch. I would with L- Lorsan and Sneaky Pete, I, if I have them in my four... And I see Mornblade. I am going to drop Mornblade at least once a turn, just to guarantee. Just yep, there's two points. Up, oh, get it. Okay, but but plus, the issue here's, there. Here's the other. Here's the other negative you're not thinking about. The other negative to this is every time you pop Mornblade, you get to move him two hexes. So that's another two hexes that he's out of position, and then you're forcing the Mornblade player to use their activations to try and recover from that misposition. So. I actually have thought about that, but here, here's the other side of, of this issue is if you're going to go hunting Mornblade, Mornblade is a difficult one to hunt for a couple reasons. One, you don't get a huge reward for dropping him. Two, if you're chasing Mornblade around, that's a problem because Mornblade is able to get you out of position, but still be in position to plant a banner three hexes away. So Mornblade can still yeah, it, do a great number of things despite being off in a corner. So if somebody was saying, like, if I had no choice, right, if I put Mornblade down and I took Mornblade in my three and they had Sneaky Pete, for instance, right, I'm going to say, okay, well, that's fine. We can find a way to drag Sneaky Pete out of the action by me being on this side of the board and still dropping my banner, but now we're not by a hex for Sneaky Pete to drop his banner. And it's not like Sneaky Pete has Sneaky Pete has a lot of movement in the plot phase, but if you want to be dropping him, you're going to be using that movement to get over there, and then he's out of position in the... Yeah, like, it, I, I just don't think that it's as one-sided as what you're portraying. Like, I, th- I think that Mornblade has a lot of resources to deal with or adapt to that situation. Well, I think the problem is once you start doing that kind of stuff to Mornblade and you start kind of devaluing his actions, because now you're not spending your actions to do all this cool stuff that you wanted to do that we explained on the cards. Now that you're being pressured and moved and pushed because I'm going to move you somewhere where you're not going to be able to listen. Three hexes is a long range to plant your banners, but there are plenty of scenarios Mm -hmm. where you can still get pushed in a spot where that's not going to matter. There's still scenarios where those hexes get moved or put there's ultimates that you can do to move those hexes. So 
I get where you're saying with Morin Blade, and yeah, he's pretty flexible. But I think that a champion countering him like that and then taking advantage of him, and then in addition to you can position the hexes where even he won't be able to really manage it, or you'll have to spend more actions to do what you want to do. That's what makes Morin Blade not as good in my mind. So that's just where why I put him at three was just because of all the liabilities that he can present as a uh, as a champion in the Guardian class. It's still really good, but I think with those counters to him, that's what really kind of dropped him to three for me. Sure, and, and there are those counters, but I see so many situations where Mornblade is over here, able to plant a banner on one side three away, and maybe be able to shoot at someone from three away on the other side, right? Like, there's just so much area that Mornblade is able to control um, or, or not take control, but affect. And so I, I just see a very versatile, versatile model. Yeah. M- much more and versatile than what I'm guessing the next model is that we're going to talk about. Well, and that's the thing that I want people to understand is when I was talking and thinking about this, and even as we're talking about it, Chris, it, it's not like it's one, two, three, and it's definite. It's just like, well, in this scenario, this model's better. In this scenario, that model's better. So where do you kind of gauge it? And I just thought the hard counters made it where I actually had Mornblade close to one, but then the counters kind of brought him down to two, three, and then I just decided three because I really like the next model, and that's where I'm going to put him. All right, so let's talk about this next one. Okay, so the next Guardian that we are going to put on the number two spot, which I know Chris is going to disagree about, is going to be Rodri. Yeah, Rodri. Rodri, my boy. Okay, he doesn't. You just like so, you just like him because he's a dwarf. I mean, that's true, but he also does some really cool things. Yeah. So, looking at Rodri, he is your stereotypical dwarf. He's very slow, especially in the uh, plot phase. He's only a speed one. He has two dodge, and his followers have that as well. And he's also armor four. But the difference between him and Mornblade is he has seven boxes, so he can actually sit there. And, you know, kind of take the punishment and and usually be okay for a couple of turns. Sure. And then he has some then he has some static abilities that are really cool. He has March on both sides, which March is kind of a big deal because if you didn't have March, he would be abused a lot more as far as his movement goes. But in the clash and the plot phase, you can march to move an additional hex. So like Mornblade's thing where you lock a model down and they can't advance. Rodri gets around that because he goes, okay, I'm just going to march one and now I can move normal. So that's helpful for scenarios like that. There's also scenarios where people neuter his speed. So you can get around that by just marching and walking if you if you can. And then he can do a recruit action um, for the unit. So your unit can basically recruit in the plot phase through Rodri's actions as well. Uh, and the big thing I like about the plot phase side for Rodri is just the fact that he has brace and hold, brace for his followers and holds for him where he can get additional armor. So for the next attack, he's actually armor five, which is really a pain in the butt to deal with. And the thing that really kind of gets me about Rodri is on his clash phase because he has the ability to manipulate the mosh pit very well. And in combination with what, what I'll talk about here in a second, it, it's really good because he is the champion that's going to sit there and manipulate this scrum 
on what's happening around him directly because Rodri has shield bash, which is one of my favorite things to do with Rodri, where it doesn't do any damage, but when you hit, and you're probably going to hit with it because it's seven dice, you get not only you get uh, negative damage on the model that you hit, but you also get to move them two hexes. So you get to move them two hexes away from Rodri, which is a big deal because that helps create, once again, something your opponent has to deal with, something that they have to now use an action to correct. So I've really used that ability to great effect. And Sword Slash is okay, but the re big reason why Shield Bash is good is because you get to move other people's models around, but Rodri really doesn't get moved around that much. When you look at Unyielding and when you look at Shield Wall, if Rodri is next to a banner, he cannot be moved by an enemy action. And if you look at Shield Wall, his followers cannot be moved if they are next to Rodri. So you have this situation where Rodri literally is where he's going to be and he's manipulating the scrum and you can't move him. The only way you can move him is if you get rid of his banner and that's about it. So Rodri really, the negative to him is his dodge, but also the fact that if you can, if you put your banner in a bad spot, then Rodri is not going to be able to do all the cool things he wants to do. So I'm not a big fan of Rodri, and I think that if people are listening and they're not the type of people that are able to perfectly make sure that their models are positioned, they can have a really bad experience with Rodri. And yeah, as soon right. as Rodri gets out of position at all, like he's Foxville. <laughs> so I, I would caution people about uh, what sort of play style they have and, and how they play games and if they're not about having very measured control over their positioning, Rodri is not going to make them a happy camper. Um, one thing that I would change is I wish Shield Bash was move target up to two hexes in a straight line. Um, but whatever. Like, like well, it should I, have to be a straight line away from Rodri. I mean, that... I mean, if then you're looking at limiting and narrowing the usefulness of that even more. Sure, sure. but but and, I think it's, it's thematic. Well, it's thematic, but then you're talking about Rodri's not as good as you want him to be, and now you're talking about making an action that's a cool feature of his even less effective. So I get it's thematic, but that's why it's move away and not just move. So they they wanted it to be thematic, like you're shield bashing somebody away, but. If you do that, you're kind of really limiting some of the situations where you can use it. Yeah, no, I got so, it. I, I got it. I, I have the Rodri model. I mean, like, he just I just don't think he's great. Well, and then I think he's his, bottom two. His ultimate is also cool, just because it it's one of those things where you can kind of hold on to it until it's going to win you the game. Because basically, it's like, oh, you stepped on Rodri's banner. I'll activate him last, and I'll throw the uh, banner out, and now I get five points in the end step, five steps in the end step. So it's one of those things where it's not like a big sexy ultimate, but the fact that you can put your banner down just when they weren't expecting you to, or when you really just needed it to get those points, that's, that's a good ultimate. I like it a lot. I wish that you could put it down in addition to having a banner down in the plot phase, like to where you could have two Rodri banners down, like to where you could really ensure... <laughs> you 
you could yeah. get like ten points. Yeah, that would be sick. But that would be that would be pretty sick. I, I don't know if they think that that would be broken. But I mean, th- to be honest, this is one example of where like I wish that the card was clearer because just by reading it, it says make a claim action. It doesn't say like only if you don't have a ban- another banner down or whatever, right? Yeah. Like I, I, w- I wish that that was clarified on the card a little bit better because we had to. It wasn't you. It was me and Nick had to argue about it and look it up in the rule book and all sorts of stuff. So, um, and I think had to like use online resources to be like, okay, can let, you double down or not? I say, let me guess. You wanted to put two banners down and Nick wouldn't let you. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to maximize you, some fucking abilities here. You, you, you wanted to have all the fun. Duh. Uh, another How reason why. <laughs> Another really thing, strong thing about Rodri is the house guard, the household guard. The fact that they can't be moved and they march and they're kind of just this slow presence and they're not easy to kill. I think that what makes Rodri strong isn't the points that he's earning you. What makes Rodri strong is the points that he's denying your opponent. Okay. And the reason why I think that's strong is because I, I've seen, I've played Rodri a lot now. And I've seen a lot of times where people keep throwing attacks into him and his followers and they get just net no points off of it. And it's just one of those things where this is a game about being efficient in your actions. Mm-hmm. And I've seen I've seen Rodri make it where people ha- are being very inefficient with their actions. And I, I'll always point to the game where I ended up shield bashing and then using uh, landslide to push another model, another two hexes. And now that person had to spend basically three actions just to get their model back where they wanted it to go. So that's one of the things I like about Rodri a lot is not that he's going to get you a lot of points, but if you are the controlling player and you like to control what's going on and the movement and the hexes, I think that's where Rodri really shines. And obviously there's a couple of scenarios where Rodri might be harder to play just because he is slow. So if it's really, really hard to get to those objectives, you might not want to bring Rodri in those ones because it does take him a little bit to get into the fight. I'll tell you what, the household guard having that four armor is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like there shouldn't be followers that have four armor. That's fucking horse shit. Well, and and they put up, you know, brace and then all of a sudden they're five armor. And then it's like, oh, good job. You actually killed one. You got one point. Good job. So, Rodri's pretty good. He definitely has his downfalls. I like what Chris said about being careful as a newer player or a person that doesn't isn't patient with their movement and isn't controlling. If that's not your play style, I, I think, Chris, you might be right. Maybe Rodri isn't the guardian you want to bring because he definitely is strong, but he does have some things where it's like, if you do this, Rodri can be taken advantage of, for sure. Yeah, and... and, and- that's why I I I argue for Mornblade the way that I do is Mornblade is so much more flexible. Mornblade is so much more adaptable if you're in a not ideal situation than Rodri is. Well, I think another reason why I put Mornblade below him besides the counters was the followers for Mornblade, uh, they're just so freaking slow. It's it's kind of ridiculous because they're only speed one and move one. So they just take forever. Like you have to use the ultimate pretty early to get them up in the middle where you want them. Mm -hmm. So I think that was another reason where I was kind of like the followers just can be so intensive to get them where you actually want to get them. So 
I think that was another reason why I kind of bumped him down a little bit. But like I said, it's pretty close there. I actually, besides a couple of the negatives I thought about, I was pretty close to putting Mornblade on top. So, I mean, it's not it's not a far difference in my mind. It, it's very, very close in a lot of these Guardians. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if you agree with the number one that we have here, which is Half Tusk. I'm at peace with so, it. <laughs> Half Tusk is a really cool Guardian. I really like him a lot. He was the first Guardian I played. Um, and he does a lot of things that Guardians just don't usually do and that's he puts out damage he he's going to be one that's going to sit there in the clash phase and he basically gets to punch you twice and one of those punches is probably going to be free which is the cool thing about half tusk uh, another cool thing that he has is he has the innate ability to heal he can heal two hit points in the clash and plot phase and that's super fucking annoying it's so good. He has a three dodge and three armor and seven boxes. So he's not the easiest person to put damage on. He's decently quick. And the, the big reason why I think Half Tusk is really good is because he can put out a lot of boons between him and the Froglodytes, which is really amazing. But the next thing that's really big with him is his followers can go on the objective hexes. So these Froglodytes for... You know, they're, <laughs> they're, what are they called? It's, um, tear twisted. The Froglodytes can enter the objective hexes. So that doesn't seem like a big deal, but the fact that they're muddying up the hexes and they're making it where you can't plant your banners, that's kind of a problem for people to deal with. And they're not the hardest or sorry, the easiest, uh, followers to kill either. Yeah, I, I, I like Half Tusk. I've definitely had frustrating experiences with him healing all the time. It's already hard enough to hit him and get through the seven boxes, and the fact that he can keep healing up is just annoying as fuck. And I I don't like the idea that... He, because he's a guardian and because he kind of wants to just stay put and doesn't really have to get all over the place to do a bunch of things, it's frustrating that he's able to just stand there and just be like, and I'll heal some more and I'll make your life fucking annoying with my frog lights and them being able to get on the objective X. Like it's so much easier being able to just smash people's uh, banners with followers than having to do it with your champions. Well, you can't smash the banners with the frog lights. They can go on the objective hexes. Yeah, but if you look at what it says in the rule book, it says that champions, when they move on top of the banner, can smash it. So the Froglodytes oh, literally okay. can't, can't do that. Okay, so uh, that's a good rule clarification. So it's a good thing that I brought that up here. Um, okay, well, that's nice. Um, yeah. If you're against him, it's... Okay, so... Yeah, I but Half Tusk is the best one. He's the best of the Guardians. And I'm not a big fan of Guardians. But he's he's absolutely the best one. Like he's got that hybrid guardian slash damage output. Like the the best champions are the ones that are able to kind of do two things, right? Like yeah, you know, shapers that are able to do some damage or slayers that are able to reposition a little bit. Like half Tus has that. I can kind of do two things. Yeah, because he puts out a lot of damage with one two punch because. He throws a lot of dice because if he doesn't have any damage on him, he throws, I think it's four extra accuracy dice. 
no, two extra accuracy dice. And then he does his damage. And the hit effect on one punch is then you get to do two punch for free as an action. So he basically gets one free attack as long as you hit with one punch. Yeah, uh, see, and another- that's the synergy of those of those actions is just so nice. Because let's say he has five damage or whatever. Okay, let's regenerate first. Then we'll do one punch. Then we'll do two punch for free. Like, it's yeah. that's annoying as fuck. And then the other really cool thing is with the Froglodites, they have kind of this shaper kind of ability with them too because they can actually hit you and they can move you one hex towards the Froglodites. So they can kind of taunt you into that fight with Half Tusk. And then okay. they can also move they can also move one of the banners too. They can move a friendly banner one hex towards the Froglodites. So it lets you once again get a banner out of out of trouble from being squashed if you uh if you are within range of that ability. So a lot of really positive things about Half Tusk. Uh I would say the only thing that is really negative about Half Tusk is if you get him out of the fight you have to waste a lot of actions doing nothing to get him back in the fight. What do so, you mean? So the times that I've seen half tusk really not used well have been when he's either been knocked out or he's been moved by a hit effect and he's moved several hexes away because if you look at half tusk's abilities, there's really nothing to give him too much extra movement and placement and once he's away from the objective hexes, you have to spend basically two advance actions just to get him back where you wanted him. So, But it, he's got a move really, of two. It's not like he's a slow-moving model. I know, but what I'm saying is that you move and there's nothing else for him to do. Like, if you have to spend your movement and you're still not in range to do anything, then you're just sitting there. And that's kind of the problem with Half Tusk is like, if there's nobody for him to punch, he can only move. There's nothing else for him to do. Uh, but that's only on the clash phase because in in something like the plot phase, like let's say he gets knocked out, right? Like he's two, two spaces out of position, two hexes out of position. Okay, plot phase, you stand, you stand him up and move him or you... Uh, well, I guess you're only going to be able to do two things, but yeah, yeah, well, you, yeah. you have footwork, you have faint, right? Like, so you can be putting on boons and blights. Like, it, it. I don't know what you're, what you'd be wanting in the sense that, like, in the plot phase or in the clash phase, anyway. Like, even if he was knocked out, you have to spend one to stand him up and then one to move him anyway. So, I mean, there's yeah. your two actions, no matter what. Like, I, I just don't see that he has a a glaring weakness in the sense of like being put out of position. He's not like slow. It's not a glaring weakness. What I'm saying is that when he's moved out of position, there's, he doesn't have a ton of stuff that he can then do on top of that, where he's just, it's kind of wasting activations. That's not what he wants to do. He wants to stay in the middle and then just punch people while he puts his banner down, and that's kind of what he does. So if you can get him out of position where he's not on those banners, then I think that's where, I mean, he's still going to do stuff and he's still going to be efficient, but you want to make him less efficient in doing the stuff that's not helping him. Because when you bring him, you're bringing him almost as like a pseudo slayer or maelstrom because you want him to do the banner thing and you want him to punch things. That's kind of what you want half death for. So I feel like kind of the answer to this is playing the Froglodytes behind him, right? To where they're able to block him getting knocked back. 
and then yeah. that way, and then they're able to like pull people forward toward him. So yeah. I feel like just by playing the Froglodytes behind Half Tusk, it kind of prevents some of that concern. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually going to bring this up towards the end here, but I'll go ahead and do it now. James Doxy, basically, he's been doing a blog. It's called Blog Tier, and he he just posted a, a article that he did called Strength in Numbers, and he talks about the use of followers and how people can use their followers more effectively. And the thing that you just described, he basically calls it the backstop. Basically, it's a reverse screen where you stop your champion from getting pushed back or pushed away. And you're totally right. You could use the Frogodites to help protect your uh, your half tusk from being pushed around in the wrong direction. And that's the same thing I've done with Rodri, is that the Guardians, I think you, you got to use your followers to help with your positioning and help so you don't get taken advantage of if you get moved. And that's why I think you got to use your followers that way as a guardian even more because you it is so important for a guardian to stay near those objective hexes. You have to stay there. So you got to use your followers not only as support, but just to stop you from, you know, getting put in the wrong position. Yeah. Man, and look at that. I just kind of stumbled upon that answer. <laughs> Pure dumb luck. Good job. Good job, Chris. So yep. generally speaking, Chris, I know that. So let me ask you this. In your top four, where would you put Morn Blade? Because obviously you don't have Morn Blade Two. at three. So we're okay. So you still like Half Tusk better as the top? Mm, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, just, well, the Froglodites are so good. Yeah. And the Froglodites, I mean, they're, like I said, they're not easy to kill, especially if they have like feel the power on there where they get a dodge and a shield boon if they're on the objective hex. I mean, that makes them a dodge three and an armor four. Now, okay, so. let me ask you this. With Feel the Power, they can only put it on them if they're on an objective hex, but then they can move off the objective hex and still have the boons on there, right? Correct. Okay, that's. I want to make sure I'm reading this right, because sometimes the reading is some tricky bullshit on these cards. And, and let me ask you about this, because before we talk generally about the Guardians... Uh, we didn't talk about the Great Tusk, which is Half Tusk's ultimate. So basically during the plot phase, he can make a claim action like normal. Mm -hmm. And then you can either choose dodge or you can choose um, armor. And friendly models within two of him gain that boon. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, like, that's one where, you know, a novice player is just looking at Half Tusk and his followers and which one they could use most and a really experienced player is looking at how you help out the other champions and the other champions followers. Yeah. Pretty decent ultimate. I, I like it. I've used it to great effect before. Yeah. So let me ask you this before, before we get into how much do I like his pierced nipples? No, but he does have, you know, those, uh, <laughs> those Cuomo kind of nipples going on there. <laughs> No, I was going to ask you, do you like the dodge boon better or do you like the armor boon better generally as a player? Like, which one do you find yourself wanting more on your champions and followers, the dodge or the armor? Man. Um, don't, don't give me it a depends answer. Yeah, no, I, I won't. Well, let, here's, here's what I'll give you an answer on. I'll, I'll tell you where the strengths are uh, for for each is... I lean toward the dodge bonus because 
I don't like the automatic hit effects being able to go off. Yeah. Uh, that said, the fact that a dodge just needs to be equaled to makes it less valuable than armor needing to be exceeded. So when I look at, when I look at those models like Lorson and sneaky Pete, yeah, I I want the, I want the dodge bonus. I just want it to be tougher to hit. Yeah. And I, I don't want the automatic hit things going off. I don't, I don't want landslides. I don't want landslide being able to move me around because he was able to hit. I'd rather prevent that hit from even occurring if possible. Um, But I admit that it's not as strong of a, as strong of a resistance because you just have to meet instead of exceed. So, so I I will say this, that, I I will choose the dodge boon every time if the models benefiting from it are already a three, because I feel like there's a big difference between three dodge and four dodge. So if you already have a three or four dodge, I'm going to pick an extra dodge because it's more likely than you're not going to hit. But if I only have a one or a two dodge, I'm going to choose the armor because that's less damage that I'm going to take. And less likely that I take any damage. So especially for like Rodri, every time I would pick armor for Rodri. It's like, you're going to hit Rodri. I'm just going to give him more armor. That way I just take less damage. Well, and, and the other the other aspect of that is if you're at a an armor four, regardless of what the other, what their dodge number is, if you're at an armor four, it's almost always nice to take the armor because good luck cracking the five armor. Like even with somebody that yeah. hits hard. So yeah, right. Yeah. yeah the I only, mean, the only I don't thing- like it depends answers, but I mean, this is kind of the, the beauty of, of really well-designed games is it does create nonlinear, nonlinear choices. Yeah. So this, this is one of those, but yeah, I just, I, I don't like the automatic hit features that just get to go off if you hit like those those can be the most frustrating so that's yeah. that's where i lean i do lean toward the dodge yeah and so looking at our guardians chris what do you think about the class in general uh how do you think it kind of stacks up in the game where's its usefulness things like that it is probably the worst class so uh, you think it's worse than slayers yeah yep. okay and, and the reason, and the reason why, is because it's it's a class that so much is just dependent on having to wait through a whole turn to see what your opponent decides they want to try to do to you, um, and whether or not they can they can smash the banners. You only get your reward at the very end once everything is smashed. Um, they even the slayers, which can have their difficulties. They can. They are more nimble in their choices. They can choose to not kill something if it's going to be more beneficial in a following turn than killing it immediately. the The slayers often have just some additional resources that are nice in there. So, yeah, I I, I tend to look at the guardians toward the bottom, but a lot of that's also my playstyle, right? Like I, my my playstyle is going to lean more towards slayers than guardian playstyle anyway so I, I i have a bias there but i'm yeah, i'm not i think, I think you're 
I think your play style leans towards Slayer Maelstrom Shaper, just because that gives you the most aggression. And then you also have a little bit of, you know, manipulating to get the aggression to its full maximum value, right? Yep. Well, everyone's in this game, everyone's play style should lean towards shapers because shapers are just fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like Guardians a lot. They do a lot of cool things. I do agree with you that they probably are either the third or fourth class as far as the different classes go. And that's just because, like you said, the payoff is at the very end. So anywhere during that turn, if your opponent pulls something off and gets that banner, then you know you just don't get to see your extra points. And that can be tough. It really is hinging on you putting your banner in a spot where you know your opponent can't get to or it's going to be so inefficient to get to that it's not worth it. And that's one thing I didn't speak about, but I, I definitely use when I play the Guardian class, is a lot of times I will put my banner somewhere that my opponent can definitely get it. I'm like, if my opponent wants this banner, they can definitely get it, but it's going to cost them a lot. And I think that's something when you play the Guardian class, you have to use your banner almost as like bait for a trap. And it's like, yeah, here's Rodri's banner. It's really good for me to have it out. And you can come get it, but if you do, you're probably going to lose this set of followers and that champion. Or well, now especially, that's going to threaten your banners. Especially with Half Tusk, right? Yeah. Half Tusk is the one to play that style. Like, I'm going to put the banner out in front of me so that you are tempted in to where I can come punch you in the face. Uh, whereas yeah. a model that's like Rodri, you almost want to put the banner behind him. I will say this about Half Tusk as well. He, he does damage, but some of those higher armored models, he's not great at damaging. So just kind of keep that in your mind. But yeah, I definitely feel like Half Tusk tries to bait people into the fight. He like taunts them in and and use the use the Froglodytes. I also like to mention that uh, I do love Half Tusk's backstory because Half Tusk is like one of the last free trolls, and he came to this island with these Froglodytes. And he basically saved the Froglodytes from being murdered by like these orcs and goblins and stuff. So Half Tusk is like the Willy Wonka of God tier because he took this race of Froglodytes and saved them and is going to have them be his followers. Did the island that he went to, was it a Arctic island that has lots of snow? I don't believe so. I believe it was tropical. Oh, well, it sounds like somebody fucked up their basing on their Half Tusk then. Well, <laughs> you know. He went. He went on vacation. <laughs> oh, oh, he had a he had a nice ski trip. Uh, yep. That you you caught the basing in for that one. Or there's um, a mountainous peak there that he climbed with the froglodytes. Oh, may, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I I like half tusk, and I will say this in comparing the classes. This is when I'm comparing the classes. I'm trying to just look at the the features of the class and not the individual models within it. Yeah. Um, if you're asking me, are the guardian models or slayer models better, like top to bottom, I'm inclined to say that it's the guardian models. Like the guardian yeah. champions are better, mostly because you have the dead weight of Morgan at the bottom end of the <laughs> fucking slayers. Drag, dragging them down to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that just fucking sucks. But as far as a class goes, because of the way the re reward system is structured, I really dislike these guardians. Like I, I, it's so much better to have a shaper and get rewarded immediately as soon as you put out a banner 
than it is to get rewarded at the end. And something else you got something else you got to think about too, Chris, is you can do this with any other class. The only benefit is you're getting one extra point if your banner is still there. Yep. So it's kind it's kind of weird because I almost feel like the shapers extra bonus point bonus step i feel like the extra step for making a claim action almost should be a guardian thing and not a shaper thing um and i don't know what the shapers would be but to me it feels like the guard i mean i get what they said because they're guarding the banner so that's why they get the extra point during that phase but I, I don't I don't know what the shaper's extra step should be, but I don't feel like the extra point just for doing a claim action kind of makes sense. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay. Hmm. So we had a couple of questions that uh, we do want to ask because we had one from a patron because we put this out to patrons. And then there was a general question that... Um, that I saw on the God tier discord. So if you're not a member of that, you go ahead and join that because they have a lot of cool stuff that we talk about on there. Uh, but the first question that we had was from a patron. So we're going to pull that up here. And this is from our friend of the show, Joshua Hatch. Now, Chris, is there ever, and this is in capital letters, ever a situation where you'd see taking two guardians in your list. Fuck that. That sounds like the most boring <laughs> fucking game on earth. <laughs> that sounds uh, terrible. That's like that's like I lost a bet type terrible. Oh yeah, you think so? Yeah. Oh man, that would be that'd be worse than when I had to had to play with those navigators at the fucking how's that tournament? So you don't think if you brought Half Tusk and if you brought Mornblade that you could make a decent game out of that? I mean, I might be able to because I'm just so awesome, but um, <laughs> no, that would not be fun. That would not be okay. something I would be looking forward to doing. I mean, because you said Half Tusk is kind of like a Slayer and then Mornblade's kind of doing the flexible Guardian thing, so you don't buy it? I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Chris is just like, I don't want to. <laughs> no means no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I don't ever see me doing that either. Uh, but if I was going to do it, it definitely would have to be like Half Tusk and Morn Blade if I was going to do it. Uh, just because they play differently and I think I could maybe make that work, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it. Okay, yeah, you should try it in the first tournament that we do. Josh has convinced me to try it. Okay, he also <laughs> so he, he also asked that since there's no bad guardian follower combo, does that make it the best class out of the four as all four of those guardians and followers are good? So I mean, we already answered that with that, but do you think that Okay, wait, repeat repeat that first part of that question again. So basically he's saying that there's no bad combo between the followers and the champions because you know in some of the other classes like we'll be like, oh man, these followers just aren't good, or these followers are good, but man, that champion's really not that good. And it doesn't seem like there's that case in the guardians. So he was saying, does that make the guardian class really good then? No, no, it makes the models. It makes the models, the ch- the champion followers, good, right? It doesn't make the okay. class good. It just makes the models that are within the class good. Okay. Do you also feel like their consistency doesn't make them flashy and that's why people don't play them as much as the other classes? 
Yeah, I, I, well, I think that that's that's a really big fact. It is for me, right? Like, I want I want dynamic. Um, so, yeah. And a- anytime, and this is the same reason why I stopped playing Kador in uh, War Machine, is I got tired of playing a faction in this case a class. Uh, but there there's some interesting things that would keep me playing this class, but. Kador, I didn't like playing because I felt like they were so predictable and slow that I had to just move and wait to get engaged by the enemy. I couldn't dictate the engagements, right? So I think Guardians fall into that category sometimes where it's like you have to set up and wait to see how your opponent's going to engage with you with the Guardians. Yeah, and then you don't get a model like Butcher 3 to offset the fun. Yeah, right. So I definitely see that uh, that with the Guardians. But yeah, I'll, I don't know. Maybe I'll try the two Guardian list. Maybe we'll try that on the next stream and see how Chris can abuse that. Sounds terrible. Terrible for me, but maybe fun for you, Chris. No, I want you to do it in a tournament where I can like actually win the tournament. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hard pass. All right. So the last question that I want to ask, and this one's going to be a little more detailed, is this is talking about what, what can we kind of expand into as the game evolves? So like I was saying, in those MOBAs like League of Legends and Heroes of the Storm, they always introduce a new hero and the hero always does the new thing, right? Maybe it has this soak mechanic, maybe it can heal, maybe it can you know, do whatever. It does something different that the other heroes haven't done. So a lot of people are curious, Chris, what are some mechanics or some abilities that you would like to see added to the game that they don't already have? Wow, um, that's a really, really big question. Yeah, so um, I can go first while you uh, mull it over if you want. Sure, that's fine. Yeah, you go first. So I think one thing that we haven't seen yet that would be really cool is some kind of su- support class. And this could even be like a whole new class. Like you can make a class of a healer and you can just say, hey, we have this new healing class. Where they actually kind of like, oh, you get to heal a model one hit point, or you get to, you know, put a boon on this model, or you can just make it a shaper and just say that they're doing shaper things, but they also can heal other models. And I think that would be a really cool feature because I I know, Chris, that you would love it if you had a healer that could be like, hey, Rangosh, you took three damage. Here's two more, bro. (laughs) I would love that. So some kind of support class that would mitigate or even heal damage would be really cool to see on the board. That's one that I'm just like, yeah, that would really enhance this experience for me. So, hmm, how could I how could I come up with a So, I mean, new classes obviously would be would be really fun. Um, I'm trying to think what is in War Machine? What's that caster that is like a three and one. It's like some witches, I think. Maybe it's with Cricks. Yeah. Yeah, they have basically three and they each do different abilities. Yeah, so it, it it would be interesting to see see something like that where like they were they were just different, right? Like they they it wasn't necessarily follower and champion. Like an what what do you okay, go ahead. So if, and this is in War Machine because if you there was the I think it was the minions they had one of the um, pigs one of their warcasters had two heads 
and one head did this thing and one head did the other thing. So one was combat oriented and the other was like psychic oriented. You could do the same thing, like have a two headed giant and be like on the plot phase, this is this head and it's doing this. And on the clash phase, this head is doing this. Okay. So you, yeah, that, so yeah, you, that, that'd be interesting. Um, I, I'm also thinking about ones where like, it's more like shale where landslide is the one with the, with the God tier, right? So landslide's way more powerful. Um, so it's something that where would the followers be, are a lot more powerful. That would actually be cool. And one of their champions that they have coming down the pipe, it's a, uh, it's a woman and her follower is actually like a Drake. Okay. So we do, we do have these bigger followers that are coming down the pipe. We just don't have them yet. So it'll be cool to see what her follower does with this kind of like mini dragon Drake looking thing. Yeah. So, so I would, so I guess what I would like to see is, or what I think would be easy ones to incorporate are, um, models where every model in the warband is equal to where it's not a champion and it's not a follower, but they're all just more balanced. Um, and, or models that are like what you described, like a two headed giant slash, a Soma type model where depending on how you want to play it and what you're, what you're popping to, uh, you get different features or, you know, stronger followers, weaker champion combos like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a, a few different things that can be played with, but I don't know. Well, I, here's I, another, like, here's another cool one that I thought was, that was mentioned. That was pretty cool. Um, where was it? Uh, I can't see you who said, and by the way, I think it was cowbell on discord with the one who brought this up. So you got to have more cowbell, but I got a prescription. <laughs> and uh, one cool thing that I thought was mentioned is kind of like almost like traps or cantrips. So being able mm. to be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put kind of like what more or what uh, rattle bones does, but not sucky <laughs> where it's like, I'm going to put out these hexes. If you go in them, X happens, right? So you can still go in them, but then you get some kind of maybe blight or maybe you take some damage or something. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine seeing more of like those rat catcher mechanics where it's a choose one of the following yeah, uh, type mechanics yeah. coming in. Um, yeah, obvi obviously like there's almost this like limitless ability to create different types of themes of creatures. Uh, we, ha yeah, we haven't even scratched the surface at all the different classes of, of creatures you could get into. Yeah. And I've talked to a couple people about that before where it's, it's just like, they asked like, well, how far can God tier go? And I'm like, the difference between God tier and guild ball is you can literally just keep pumping out champions. Like you look at games like league of legends and heroes of the storm and even, you know, um, uh, Overwatch. I mean, they keep pumping out characters and that keeps the game alive because now you have this new functional kind of cool character that does these different mechanics you haven't seen and it keeps the game interesting. And God tier is a game for the tabletop that does what those MOBAs do for video games. So I really don't foresee a situation where the game dries up because it's like, okay, this, you can even go back and rework characters. Like 
there's there's patch notes that go out all the time for those games where they're like, we noticed that Morgan is a crappy character. Here's a patch note to fix that, and here's the card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, obviously, the the only thing that I don't want is I don't want it expanding to the level of like just getting crazy and to where there's power creep issues and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but in general, I mean, you know, Steamforge has generally done a pretty good job with that sort of thing. Like, uh, er- but every company needs to be careful of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, one thing that I did want to give a quick shout out to, I do want to thank, uh, Craig from third floor wars. He, uh, put out a podcast episode that you and I were both on and we talked about all these different games. And it was yeah, a pretty shit on that. It was a pretty funny episode. There were some funny things going on there. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys haven't listened to third floor wars, go check them out. Um, I recognize more than likely it's that listeners from third floor wars are checking us out. So thank you for giving us a try. Yeah. And we actually are setting up. So if you are still listening to this and you do play Malifaux, we are actually looking at putting out more Malifaux episodes. I actually talked with one of our local Scott and he's going to come on the podcast every now and then to talk Malifaux. Not that Chris doesn't know what he's talking about with Malifaux, but he doesn't fucking know what he's talking about with Malifaux just quite yet. I'm just, I'm just, just, I haven't had the years of experience that Scott has had. That's right. So we are going to put out more Malifaux content because I am, I'm in a league right now and man, I'm telling you what, I'm having like a zippity doodah fun time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> dork. Um, <laughs> well, zippity doodah. Um, by the way, I really, really wish that Disney would re-release Song of the South. Not in this environment, my friend. Not in this, this environment. Is the, this is the time to release it because, like, how much worse could it get? Fair. Yeah, All right. Well, see. Chris, any anything else you want to do before we uh, before we get our five points and get out of here? Five points. What are you talking about? Oh, you know, for five the, the guardian points. thing. Okay, I got what you're saying. <laughs> All right. It, t- it took me a second. Um, nope. I think that we've covered all the guardian stuff that we need to cover and the next time you listen we're going to talk about some maelstroms and hopefully have you know some good info on on maelstroms and um how you can best use them but until then i I guess go ahead i was just gonna say i think if anybody's been listening or watching any of our god tier content i think people know who my number one is for maelstroms um, <laughs> okay we'll argue about that but okay anyway um until then roll dice throw salt we're out peace <laughs>